Boy, oh boy. Boys and girls. Our book is just getting more and more interesting as we continue to learn about Ashlack and the journey that he is about to partake on. It seems to me that he has to travel into the unknown in order to find the other half of that golden nugget. I wonder if he'll get there safely or if his uncle will get there before he does. And if that happens, I wonder what that could possibly mean for Ashlack and his brother and sisters. I hope you've been enjoying these stories as much as I have so far. So sit back and here we go as we listen to chapter five of The Secret Journey of the Silver Reindeer. When Aslak was with the herd, he spent as much time searching the horizon to see if they were followed as he did looking for strays or attacking lynxes or wolverines. And with the night they packed again and harnessed again and traveled again, northward, then westward. They went this time with dogs racing and barking and all the bells ringing. For in the vast loneliness of the Arctic night, sounds were brave and comforting things. To Aslak's joy, it snowed for three whole days, not hard enough to keep them from traveling, but just enough to cover their tracks. With each day's journey farther from the winter village, Ashlack felt more confident. The exhilaration of the air and the continual movement about him kept him full of excitement and energy. But soon he was faced with a problem. While Terry and Small Journey watched the herd, he sat by the hearth talking to Mirja and Pirka beside him Beertree played with a puppy. In two days we should come to Great Journey's camp by the lake. Always before we have stayed there in spring to prepare for the summer trek to the mountains, and again in autumn to make the winter preparations. It will be good not to travel every day, said Mirja. But Great Journey's camp is well known, and anyone looking for us will go there first, said Ashlack. I don't think we should stay there. Who will be looking for us? Why did we leave in the dark? And why have you rushed us all over the fjells as if Stalo the monster were chasing us? So early in spring, there are only stray hunters and trappers about. Why should they bother us? Dirka asked. It is Uncle Pirda who will hunt us down. He did not believe me when I told him I don't know where Great Journey is buried. So he will follow me, expecting me to lead him to the burial place. Ashlack reasoned. Then if I find it, I don't know what will happen. Merja, he is an evil man. Perhaps he will trick me out of the nugget, should it be there. Perhaps he will simply kill me and take it away. Merja was suddenly terrified to think of her mysterious uncle as a man who could be so ruthless. Then why did you make us leave the village, where the mayor and the elders could protect us? Why have you brought us here? For if he kills you, he will probably kill us too, so that I may pit whatever strength and cunning I have against him. Out here it is just between he and I. The mayor and the elders at the village were too taken in by his promises. 
Besides, he could have prevailed on the elders to send you to school. I would like that, said Dirka. Ashlack's eyes dimmed in despair. Maybe I've done the wrong thing, dragging you all here with me. But I thought you felt as I do, that this is our life, and no one can take it away from us without a struggle. I swore it to our father at his death, so I must try to keep the Maga family and the deer together. Help me, Durka. Help me, Marja. And I swear to you that it will be a better life than watching the world go by from a village window all your years. But he could see that they were doubtful. The hardships of the journey brought them no reward, no mother's comfort, nor father's praise, nor worldly goods. Then Marja said, There is no sense in going back, so we can only keep on and see what happens. But let us go to the spring camp, Ashlack. We must. The meat we need for our journey is stored there for us. With a thousand deer, anyone can find us anywhere in Lapland, Dirka pointed out. Uncle Deer showed me his telescope once and how you see the feathers one by one on an eagle far overhead. He can find you no matter where you hide. So it doesn't really matter where we camp. That is probably true, Ashlack sighed. His siblings' doubts and the enormity of his undertaking beginning to weigh on him. And remember, Marcia said, the does will soon have their calves, so we cannot travel every day. We should stay at the camp and rest. The herd has a rhythm of its own, and that we cannot change. If you tried and lost the new calves, then the elders would say you were too foolish to be head of the household. So they decided to stay the usual time at camp. It was by a lake on the south slope of a rolling hill, where patches of pale, spongy mosses were already free of the snow. The bucks were separated now from the does, and all the deer rested and gathered strength. The dogs sniffed for old bones. The younger children, too, looked forward to a feast, hoping no animals had stolen the supply of reindeer meat, slaughtered and frozen in the fall, and stored in wooden shelters built atop high posts. But when Merja saw the three storehouses, she cried, Look, broken into! The doors are ripped off, and half of our meat is gone. How high the snow must have been for the wolverines to reach it, said Terry. Ashlack said little, but when he had time, he brought a ladder and looked closely at the doors. There are no claw marks on the wood. I do not think it was four-legged animals who took the meat. Merja, too, as she swept out the kachef, made of turf and timber, felt that someone had used it after they had left in the autumn. It was a dreaded feeling, making even the familiar dwelling seem strange and uncomfortable. She threw out every old twig, sending Terry and Petri to the dwarf willows and birches by the lake to gather fresh ones. When Dirty brought her a funny stone with a face he had found on the shore, Marcia set it defiantly in the same place where old grandmother had kept her good luck gods. Please take away the feeling of the unknown which is in this house, Marja suggested politely. 
Perhaps it was only someone who took refuge in a storm, said Durka, for that was permitted. I hope no one comes while we are here now, Merja said, picking up Derti and hugging him close for comfort. I will protect you, said Durka. Anyway, we are safe in this kata. He pointed to the high log doorstep and low log lintel. Anyone entering had to bend his head at the same time as he stepped up and over, so a stranger could be clubbed senseless before he had both feet in the door. But the children felt safe enough so they could fall asleep after a good meal of reindeer meat, stewed long and drawn steaming from the cook kettle. Each day the sun's goodness pushed back the snows as well as the hours of darkness. Soon the does, the vahul, began to drop their young, and the children counted the stick-legged calves struggling up from the snow. While one child slept, the others watched to make sure that bears, awakened hungry from their winter sleep, did not eat the newborn calves. Even Derti was put on the back of a harka, where he could be safe but see over the herd, and told to cry out if he saw any animal but deer or a dog. Ashlack looked out over the fjells, in the lakes and the bogs, and he remembered that it was day since he had seen a tall tree, and he was conscious of time, for he wanted to hurry the herd on to the mountains. He wondered in what fold of the fjells his uncle Dira lurked, and whether he had in his greed kept the twenty reindeer with him. Yet so far, in all the empty earth about him, he could see no other herd, no other people. There was nothing but the sky, and in starlight or sunlight, peacefully moonlit or tumultuous with clouds, it was a tremendous arc above and beyond the limits of the eye, at the farthest horizon. But there was other work to do besides keeping watch. Small Jorni tarred the six sledges again to make them waterproof, and then he stored them away. Halters and reins and pack saddles needed repair. Ashlack and Dirka both needed new lassos, cut and braided from good deerskins. This was the time of year when their mother and grandmother had made new boots and mittens, woven boot laces and belts, and twisted root fibers into the patterned mesh of cheese molds. Marja cried when she thought of the old grandmother sitting by the hearth, pulling out dried deer sinews and twisting and rolling them against her cheek to make thread. For now it was all she could do to mend their boots and mittens cook their food and count the calves, milk the does, and make cheese for their next journey. Because the sun barely dipped into enough dusk for them to rest, she worked long hours, and her only pleasure was to sit late in the evening by the lake and listen to the thrush and blue throat sing. Ice melted, and fish in the nearby streams and the lake made a tempting change from their year-round diet of reindeer meat which they ate braised and stewed with herbs in the cook pot, or smoked and dried and chewed down cold many a time on their journeys. One evening, Durka lay motionless on a rock by the lake and saw a large pike in its shallows, 
He knew he should run to find Annette. But he felt the sudden chill of a shadow and heard a body brush against a rock. The fish is there, he whispered, expecting to see. Ashlack's hand cast out a net. Instead, a large brown bear paw thrust out before him and a huge fur shoulder passed close enough to warm his face as a bear plunged upon the fish. Durka shook to think the great beast must have stood behind him as he dreamed. Breathlessly, he slid from the rock and stepped silently as a lynx. Outside the kacha, Dirty played with a pile of stones, and Durka picked him up and plopped him inside. Merja looked up from braiding a belt, startled. What's the matter? A big bear is fishing in the lake. He nearly fished me. Where's the gun? Durka had shot wolves and wolverines, and he knew it was dangerous for a boy barely five feet tall to shoot a bear almost nine feet tall. The first shot must be the only. He must walk out with the courage of a man. And he did. He even felt it unfair that the bear should be so busy fishing that he could take him unaware. Then, as he approached, Durka's foot slid on a loose stone, making a sudden chink of a sound. The bear swung about and saw Durka just as the boy took aim. Durka's shot was true and hit his heart, and the bear fell. Durka started toward it, when Ashlack, running in the sound of the shot, called out, Wait! Bears are treacherous! Let me see first if he has really passed. Ashlack fetched a ski from the edge of the snowfield and prodded the bear. Then he called in small Juni, and together they skinned it, while Mersia roasted some meat. Ashlack told Perka that they would cure the skin so he could keep it or sell it at the winter fair. With such a brave brother to help me, how can the mayor say we should give up our herd and go to school? Ashlack praised him. Durka was so full of joy in his accomplishment that he sat on the rock in the evening sunlight, making up a joke about wonderful Durka the bear hunter. You are boasting, laughed Terry, who sat with him, holding a sleepy dirty. Many men shoot bears, but this is my first, insisted Durka, and it is big enough for a song. <laughs>